The Short Game, Episode 34, Machinarium. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we explore the best of video game design and craft in just a few hours each week. I am your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my full complement of co-hosts. I have excellent podcast hero, Nate Heininger. How are you doing, Nate? Uh, it's going well. Uh, fantastic intro. I try. And I'm joined by digital strategist by day and game design expert by night, Laura Nash. I'll take the title. And of course, I am joined by my bro host and real-life twin brother, Shane Kelly. Shane, since it was you who recommended the game this week, why don't you take it from here? Well, today we're talking about an amazing game, um, in my opinion. I think, uh, although we usually try and bring you games that we unanimously love, sometimes we cannot always 100% agree on how much we love a game. And on this game, I think we're going to hear a different level of love from some of our panelists than from others. <laughs> the differential is um, a little bigger on this one than on some of our past games. That's not to say that it's a bad game, but I'm going to have a little bit more to say in the camp of this could be better. Machinarium is a point-and-click puzzle adventure game from a company, Amanita Design, and it came out in 2009. And it's come out since then on pretty much every platform, uh, everything from an uh, you know the iPad to uh, the BlackBerry to the PlayStation. And it really, it, I, in my opinion, it's a beautiful example of the kind of classic point-and-click adventure puzzle genre elevated by really beautiful art and really excellent music. And one of the really interesting things about this is it's a point-and-click adventure game, but I always associate that with quite a lot of text uh, the Monkey Island style where there's a lot of people talking at you. This is just a point-and-click adventure game where the illustration and the animation take center stage. You're really living in this beautiful, beautiful world and the music and all of these design elements are really building you a great picture, but there's no text. There's little little thought balloons with question marks or um, you know, next steps telling you what you're supposed to do next. But there's also very little plot, which... Um, I often find a lot of twisting and turning in puzzle games. This one has, you know, it's a little robot who's absolutely adorable, and bullies steal his girlfriend, which is terrible. Terrible. Those bullies. Yeah, terrible bullies. They put him in prison, which is even worse. So then he has to break out of prison, find his girlfriend, and stop this bomb from going off. Which sounds really high stakes, but a lot of the game is you and the little robot trying to solve little bit of little puzzles, like, can the band fix its instruments? So a lot of it's this little charming world, Triplets of Belleville, Metropolis, sketch think, art uh, style. Triplets of Belleville is a great, uh, a, a great kind of call out as a sort of a similar art style. It has this. It, it, let's let's start by talking about the world of the game and and how how the world of the game and the art 
work together. Because yeah. I think that's some of the thing that will draw most people into this game. I actually, while we're on the topic of the art style, I had a, a different sort of connection point for that. Because um, it is a gorgeous art style. I think the art is by far the the most impressive thing about this game. Every single moment of the game you could put up as a canvas and it would look gorgeous. Um, and, and they look oil painted, like you get that kind of crackly look of an oil painting. And what it reminded me most of, Triplets of Belleville, excuse me, what it reminded me most of, Triplets of Belleville is a good example, good, uh, good comparison, but actually remember, but it actually reminded me a lot of uh, children's books like The Stinky Cheese Man. <laughs> do you remember that that book? Yeah, I, uh, I actually I looked it up uh, when I was uh, getting ready for the show because I wanted to make sure I could call out the author. It's by John uh, Sietzka and illustrated by Lane Smith. And Lane Smith illustrated a number of, of books for John Sietzka. Um, and all of them have this gorgeous sort of painterly but also sort of dark art style that Every moment of the game kind of reminded me of, of that art style. So if that's something that, you know, 90s kids will know what I'm talking about, um, maybe that'll <laughs> maybe that'll help clue you into what this game looks yeah. like. Um, I have actually happened to watch uh, a good part of Triplets of Belleville just about three nights ago. Molly watched the whole thing and I was part of it. I, I didn't really get that feel. I think maybe in some of the like some of the landscapes and some of the some of the buildings, but the color palette and the kind of soft edges definitely is way more uh, stinky cheese man. So if we if you ever imagined I win. Yeah, <laughs> well, stinky cheese man's a great comparison. But I think it's both. So I think we have finally found, you know, the you know, for people who've been pining for a stinky cheese man meets triplets of Belleville uh, universe, Machinarium is the game for you. Plus no. robots. A ringing endorsement from Nate. <laughs> I actually, uh, when we're, while we're talking about the the art of the game, um, Laura, you had a little bit of a story about your first experience with this game, and and I know you you met the person that did the art. Uh, I I believe that would be would be Jacob Dvorsky. Yes. Um, so uh, this game was actually one of the uh, first PAX Ten honorees. Um, I was living in Seattle at the time, um, and I was a newbie game designer. So uh, the PAX Tim was I was trying to you know, meet as many people and play as many games as possible to learn new mechanics. And I was trying this game as a demo um, at one of the booths, and this guy kept trying to give me hints, and I was trying to not take any because I was you know it was a puzzle game, and I felt I shouldn't. Um, and plus, these were early on in the game when they're pretty easy. And then I started talking to him. I was like, yeah. He's like, would you play this game? Would you buy this game? I was like, yeah, I think it's beautiful. And the music's great. And, you know, once I got past this little bridge thing, he's like, oh, thank you. I, I did all of the illustration myself. Oh, nice. Great. Way to bury the lead guy. Yeah. So, yeah, the <laughs> guy just kept talking to me about this game. And I, I thought he was just a normal marketer. Would you date the designer yeah. of this game? <laughs> he's uh... Laura, could you could you describe for us a little bit about about the world of the game and kind of what you see as you first as you were first seeing those early scenes? Sure. In the early scenes, um, you're really meeting the character of your lead robot. Um, you get little hints like you know little broken heart drawings, um, and the robot is learning his way around the world just as you are. Uh, you learn things like you can stretch or squash him. Um, he can. Uh, one of my favorite animations is just pulling his body up to the full height and then watching him teeter-totter to the edge of things. Um, 
You can assist and, small rats in finding their lost dolls. Yes. there's. <laughs> you get more and more outside of the robot. The first time, it's just, how do I get to the next stage? How do I get to the next linear object? Almost tutorial level style. Mm-hmm. And then you start explaining, exploring more, and you get actually into a city where there's other robots um, that are not just bad robots. Yeah, it's a, lot it's of a bad whole robots world of robots. Hats. So mm-hmm. I think that Machinarium is referring to the, you know, I think that it's the the city that we're visiting in the game is the Machinarium. Um, and it's a weird world. It sort of has this decayed technology kind of look, like a bunch of uh, robots were set up to maintain this city for their builders, and the builders are all gone, but the robots are now living their lives. And some of the robots... Oh, it's like Wally. Robot Wally. Uh, yeah, yeah in, a, in a way, although... Um, well, not just Robot Wally. Kind looking. Wally is robots. Yeah, That's true. You don't need to qualify it with Robot Wally. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, outside of the city is nothing but a giant scrap heap of uh, basically junk robots. and robot parts, which is, uh, if you really are, are paying attention to the world of this game, it can, it can be a bit of a grim, dirty, grimy place. But I love that it has elements of you know, that Susian architecture where things aren't straight lines. They're very curvy. There's lots of weird looks. Like almost everything is a curved line or an arch or a wavy. I mean, I would love to live in that world, even though there's little bolts on everything. And it's definitely not meant for a human. Well, get but your tetanus I, shot before yeah, you go. But I think I would probably stub my toe and die. Things are just <laughs> leaking oil. Which is great for robots. And all I can think about is Futurama every episode with robots this entire time we're talking about it. I think Robot Mafia would do well here. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, apparently there is a Robot Mafia. We are, we are uh, when bullies. we're booted out of the city, we're booted out by some bullies. Actually, really interesting thing. We can give some of these names. I don't know where these come from, but I looked it up on Wikipedia and the plot summary gives names to many of the characters that go nameless in the game. So um, I don't think actually really be all that illustrative but apparently our robot hero is named Joseph in reference to uh, the uh, the person who originated the word robot oh um, I was like Joseph Campbell's the hero's journey no it's <laughs> J-O-S-E-F and I forget the last name but it's hmm. a it's a reference to the the guy who who coined the word robot um, his girlfriend robot is named Berta and the bullies are referred to in the plot summary as the Black Cap Brotherhood, which makes sense. They all do have black caps. Um, it makes them sound more ominous than they really are. They really just come off as schoolyard bully robots, but uh, but they are the Black Cap Brotherhood. That's a good name. That's a good name for a robot mafia. I totally agree. <laughs> So we're booted out of the city by the Black Cat Brotherhood, and we first have to find our way back in. And sort of getting back into the Machinarium is your tutorial. And you, uh, once you have gotten back in, uh, the game sort of opens up, and uh, there's a much larger series of puzzles. And the puzzles kind of broadly break down into a few kind of big categories. There's a lot of sort of very typical environmental item puzzles that you'd find in any point-and-click adventure game. And a lot of those have a very cute, charming way of kind of explaining the game world and interacting with other characters. Mostly it's you encounter a robot who is sad because of something. And it's usually, I'm sad because I'm missing my blankety object. And you can find that blank object somewhere else in the world and through some kind of way of 
doing a adventure gamey puzzle, you can get that thing and bring it back to the robot and they're happy again and then they'll do some favor for you. So a lot of the puzzles kind of break into that mold. Um, but a lot of the puzzles also break into a couple of other molds. There's a lot of puzzles that are more sort of self-contained and resemble little like sliding tile games or little uh, self-contained uh, button clicking puzzles. Um, a good example would be that there's a one point when you open up a street lamp and inside uh, the wiring is represented by a bunch of little tiles with little wire drawings on it and you have to do a sort of you know the three by three tile grid type of puzzles like you'd find in a uh, children's birthday party party favor bag uh, you have to slide the little tiles around in order to complete a circuit and um, that's an example of one of the types of of little mini puzzles that you'd find as a part of the world and then there's a third category that's sort of more fully interactive puzzles that kind of more resemble little mini games in and of themselves. Uh, one really prominent one would be that if you want to consult the in-game hint book, you can play a little shooter game. And that little shooter game, if you complete the level, lets you open and unlock the hint book for the world or the the room that you're currently in. Well, Reagan, you, you just brought a bunch of things up, a bunch of different points related to the puzzles. And I kind of want to call out some of those things as things that uh, either worked really well or uh, didn't work too well for me. Um, and this kind of gets into my opinion on this whole genre of games, um, which is a genre that I have a lot of affection for. I am I have been playing these sorts of games since I was really young. Um, one thing that tends to to work really well in this genre, I think, is the kind of um, get the cheese to lead the mouse to the cat type puzzle, you know, the, um, the, if this, then that type of item collection or, you know, interaction puzzle. And that's, that's the classic adventure game. This game, I think has a lot more of what you're kind of describing with the tile sliding, uh, kind of real puzzle type puzzles. Mm -hmm. Um, and those don't tend to be my favorites in this kind of game. Um, you know, if it, I, I remember there was one puzzle in this game where, um, you had sort of a, I can't even remember in what context you found this puzzle, but there was like a triangular kind of red and green peg puzzle where you were spinning oh, the yes. little items around. Was, I remember that. that one was difficult. That took me a lot of random clicking to get through. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of puzzle is one that tends to not work well for me. And that one in particular, I remember being so frustrated with it that I tried to look up uh, a walkthrough for it only to find that uh, that puzzle is randomized each time you play it. Oh, God, I didn't realize. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always torn on this stuff because I actually think I'm better at those style of puzzles. The like real self-contained. Uh, what's the other one? You've got... Uh, three arrows pointed down, three circle tiles in a row pointed down, three circle tiles pointing up, and you have to get all the ones that can only go down to the bottom, the ones that can only go up to the top. Yeah, hard to visualize um, if you haven't seen it, but it's a very yeah. precise puzzle. It takes about 16 moves or so to to move all the things from the top to the bottom and from the bottom to the top, and you have to do it in a pretty specific order. And it's um, it's not easy. Yeah, I I don't know. That one took me, like... Two minutes, but damned if I could find the arm 
you know, that had fallen in the water that you have to rope the magnet around the rope to swing to the top. It's like, I have a harder time with these more abstracts, not the right word. Cause mm -hmm. they're pretty straightforward. They're, if you, they're combination puzzles. So it's basically yeah. like you, it, it's almost Rube Goldberg -y of you need to set up all of your little tasks in a row so that when you flip this switch, then you can dip the piece in the water. And so it's a combination of timing and just combining yeah. elements on the screen. Mm -hmm. And, one of the things that I had a problem with those style puzzles too, and this was just, I, I have real, I actually have, you know, not fully completed the game at the moment, but I've really enjoyed most of the puzzles in this game. The only thing that I've had an issue with this game, and I think that's led to me having a problem with the more, um, the combination puzzles instead of the self-contained ones is like actually selecting things. I've been playing it entirely on iPhone has been very, very difficult. And while I think I'm tapping on the thing that I, like I'm pretty sure I could pick this up. You have to tap it in this extremely precise spot or else it won't pick it up. And I don't think I'm I don't think I'm just fat fingering it. I have a feeling that people who reviewed this for iPhone and iPad were one mostly playing on iPad because that's originally what it came out on. It wasn't universal at the time of reviews. And two, I think a lot of them were people who had played it on PC or another platform where you have a rollover state. And so they were reviewing the game, but not necessarily the port. And I, there are ways to make it easier on touch devices. But I feel like when you said you were playing on an iPhone, I couldn't even imagine this world of this game shrunk down to the iPhone. Yeah. The hit areas must be tiny. Well, and that that's the problem. And part of me, because I started the game and, you know, and I think it was Reagan was like, you should probably play it on computer. And I agree. But, you know. It's offered on iOS, and knowing that most of you guys had not, I thought that I would just get through it. And there is a cursor mode, which Reagan pointed out to me I had not found, that you actually can basically drag a mouse or mouse cursor around. And that's really helpful for identifying actionable items. It actually changes the cursor. So then I would know for sure that that's something that could be tapped on. Because that was my biggest problem at the beginning, is I would be tapping on something thinking, I have to be able to pick this up. And then it would not work. And then I'd go back to the walkthrough or whatever, the, the mini guide. I never went outside of the game for help, but I did use those mini guides a lot. And it would be like, yeah, you pick up that thing. So then I'd go back over and tap it just right to pick it back up. The cursor helps with that. But. Obviously, there's a lot of sort of usability issues with the game that we can kind of talk about. But I think maybe a good way to approach this would be for us to talk about the problems with the game and see if these are just quirks of the adventure game genre generally and things that a person who loves adventure games would uh, adapt to or not see as an issue or specific problems with the game itself. Um, I have a kind of a list of things that bugged me, and maybe you guys can give me some feedback on whether these are problems with this game or whether I'm just crummy at adventure games. And actually, I should well, I should say that I've played a, a few adventure games, but I'm not a big adventure game player. Um, back in the distant past, I played adventure games because they were some of the only games that offered plot. Um, but in more recent years, I think... I've played very few adventure games. Um, one exception would be Broken Age, which I really liked, uh, and I managed to make it through Broken Age without a lot of trouble. Uh, so I'm wondering how many of these things are things that just reflect on my failings as an adventure game player or on this game in particular. You're forgetting your favorite adventure game, Freedom Planet. <laughs> I mean, that was... Was that not the greatest adventure you'd ever been on? Uh, it was the greatest story ever told. One thing about Machinarium that makes it a little harder is this beautiful, detailed art. Because 
I've played quite a lot of adventure games, and usually you tell what's interactable because someone gave a damn about that sprite. Someone like cared about that background object and put some extra shading on it. <clears throat> so you can so you can tell because someone put care into that object, you probably are supposed to interact with the it. The Scooby-Doo effect. Yeah. yeah. Where that, the uh, the object that you know you know that they're about to open the drawer because it's a different color from the background. Yeah, I mean that was like every single Sega game. Exactly. Yeah. That someone bothered to put it on the seven layer. This is such beautiful detailed art, which we keep praising, but it makes it really hard sometimes to know what is just a background detail and what is interactable. So that's one of the things that makes this harder, in my opinion, than a lot of adventure games. And that's why I prefer the desktop so much because you are rolling around and, and it's easy to miss details since everything is detailed. Yeah, I mean, I, agree. I, I really think 100% of my issues is playing it on iPhone because I have really enjoyed this game. I really enjoyed the puzzles, the art detail. I haven't had a terrible time even locating stuff. It's like I will know what I have to do I just won't be able to tap properly because there are speeds, not the right word, but there are definitely some timing based uh, puzzles. And I would be over and have to do it like five times before I could tap properly. And that didn't feel like like this shouldn't be hard because I can't do it properly. The hard part should be figuring it out. OK, I figured it out. I should be able to do it. Yeah. Other than that, that's my only issue. So I know, Reagan, you just set up you have a. You have a list. Uh, it's not super organized, but I, I have a, a few things that particularly bugged me. The reachability mechanic, the mechanic where your character can stretch to taller heights and squish down to lower heights, and your character has to be able to reach something for you to be able to interact with it. Initially, I thought, what a charming idea, you know, and it's sort of a core mechanic of the game. The The idea is that, you know, your, your robot, you can only interact with objects that your robot can reach. Your robot can be very short. Your robot can be very tall. Um, he waddles around at a pretty slow speed. Um, Many adventure games, in fact, I'd probably go so far as to say most adventure games, will let you mouse over and click on basically anything. And if you click on an object, your character will go to it and interact with it. Um, but in this game, you have to click to move and then click on an object for your character in to interact with it. Um, and that includes doing things like adjusting the height. And so for me, while this added some charm, it added a lot of tedium um, because it meant that I had to do a lot of managing where my character was placed. And it also really, really made it challenging to tell what was interactable and what wasn't. There was already the problem of telling what was interactable because everything was so detailed, like Laura was saying. But another challenge was, even with the mouse over ability, you know, being able to mouse over an object and kind of tell if it was something that you could interact with or not, it only... And maybe I, maybe I missed something, but as far as I could tell, it only shows you if something is interactable if you mouse over it while your robot is within reach of it. It does tell you that right at the beginning. That's true. It, it does tell yeah. you that. Um, but the problem there was that that meant that if I'm trying to figure out what objects in a scene and in a very densely populated scene with lots of little elements in it uh, are interactable, that means navigating the robot around at different heights and trying to click on basically everything. Um, yeah, this is one of those times that I really did grade on a curve because of two things. I was okay with taking more time on these levels because they were gorgeous and that looking more in the background, I didn't mind as much. Um, also that I really was charmed, as I mentioned already, about the, the stretch and squatch animations. So <laughs> they are really cute. <laughs> 
really adorable. And, and so I didn't mind as much having him stretch out and look around. And especially because um, my I obsess over any designer who puts a good fail animation in. And the robot will just quickly shake its head no at you. Like, you stupid uh-uh. human. How dare uh-uh. you think that it... Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Just shaking uh-uh. its head back and forth, which you hear a ton because you're often <laughs> clicking on things. I, I wanted no to punch him in sense. his little robot face at uh-uh. some points when he did that. Yeah. <laughs> How and dare like, you? Right it's yeah. like uh-uh. arguing with the cutest toddler ever. Like, no, true. you should be uh-uh. able to do this. Please stop. Uh-uh. So... Again, I think they put enough personality that when I got frustrated in that situation, I was okay with it. Mm-mm. But I understand that you were also playing this on a time schedule. You wanted to finish it for this podcast. I was playing with months and doing a puzzle or two a day. So when mm-hmm. I got frustrated, I just quit and picked up later. Mm. Oh, and I was playing uh, mm-hmm. just in a very relaxed way. Super relaxed. Um, on on my, my wife's laptop, uh, the two of us were playing it together. That is the best way to play adventure games across the board. It is, isn't it? Because you get to kind of talk it out when it comes to the puzzles, and you get to share in each other's frustration with the uh -uh. and uh, Mm -mm. (laughs) you you do it best, Nate. Yeah, (laughs) wins. Uh, This thing has been haunting me for days straight now. The judgment of that that robot. And also, when we played it, we made very, very liberal use of the hint system. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, me too. Which I consider to be one of the finest hint systems in any game that I've played. Uh, really, uh, I mean, it. First off, they uh, they limit your access to it a little bit. They make it a little bit annoying to get into it because you have to like play snake or whatever. It's a little uh, little shooter, shooter yeah. level. They'll shoot them up. Yeah. You're a little um, key, and you have to get from left to right and shoot little bugs and not hit ceilings until, until you get to the keyhole, and that unlocks it. Mm-hmm. It's and, great. And my, I mean, it might be misremembering. It gets harder to do that as you go? or nope. it, no, or They have about six little. or seven levels that they loop through, and some of them are harder than others, but if you play one and you fail and you play again, you'll get a different level. So it, it almost... Uh-huh. It, I don't think there's a scaling yeah. difficulty to it. It's just there. It's just there to make you, like... You know, not want to waste your time going back and checking the hints constantly. I think. Yeah, and that it, because and, each time, if you've unlocked the hint book once and then you close it, you have to play the level again to open it again. So you get one look if you if you want, and then you have mm-hmm. to go and. Uh, and yeah, that's why I tried to reserve it until like okay. Yeah. What stupid little knob have I not twisted? I do appreciate that it gave you a. You had a moment of success after probably fifteen minutes of utter dismay oh, yeah, and failure. That's a good you point. get a little bit <laughs> yeah, of really like, point. oh, I can succeed in something Yay, before you get the, the hint key. book. So, you mm-hmm. know. And, and your reward, and the, those hints, the thing I love about them is that they're like a little comic book, you know? They're full, just like everything else in the game is beautifully illustrated, the hints have no words to them, and they themselves are beautifully illustrated in, in the form of like a little you know, graphic comic book. And the only thing that they do, the problem with the hints is that once you're in the part of the game where the world opens up a bit and you've kind of got the hub from which you can go off and play whatever puzzle you want, uh, the hints, they tell you what you need to do here in this area, but they don't tell you, you know, oh, you need to go get this thing from this other area or you need to do this other puzzle before you can complete this puzzle. Yeah, it's not chronological 
because it's just frame by frame. Mm-hmm. This is what to do on each frame. But it doesn't tell you exactly what to do. It kind of shows you the outcome. Yeah. It kind of points you in the right direction. It's not a total walkthrough. I found it to be But doesn't enough, it give though. you one eventually or something like no. that? I might, no, there I are two levels of the hints. In every room, there's a little like light bulb that you can click on that will show you just a single image that kind of illustrates what you're what you're trying to achieve in this area. And that's kind of a hint. And there's no there's no little puzzle you have to solve or game you have to play in order to get that. You can get that in any room. It's just to kind of get a picture of what it is that the robot is trying to do. Um but then you play the little hint book puzzle in order to open the hint book and see a sort of a frame by frame, usually six or eight drawings that kind of illustrate what steps you're going to need to take in order to get there. And you're right, even then, it's not always completely laid out for you, but it's usually pretty clear. Yeah, it's it's enough for you to be like, okay, this is what I need to do. Sometimes there's a little bit you still have to figure out, but it doesn't just... I like it because it doesn't... It, first of all, like they they know their audience... People are going to go outside the app. They're going to go outside the game if they get stuck. So I love coming up with a creative, artistic way, because the drawings are great, uh, of providing that for you. Mm -hmm. I think that is a good adaptation. I think the biggest shortcoming of classic adventure games is that sometimes there are just leaps of logic that you have to make in order to solve the puzzles that some people will make and other people just won't. That's why I like playing adventure games like Shane was saying with other people. Sometimes two heads are better than one and somebody will make a leap that you wouldn't make. Um, having that hint book is is a big help. And I think it's the only reason I was able to complete the game. Like, well, obviously, so you've got this plunger and obviously you've got this gun with a rope at the end of it. I mean, duh, you're going to tie that plunger to that rope. You know, like obviously everyone's gonna know that. It's yeah, little things like that plunger. Yeah. It's like little things like that that you're saying. It's like it took me a minute of until I actually got to the point where it was required that I put it together. But I could see how you just totally overlooked that mm-hmm. without that little hint. Now there were some puzzles that I just think kind of defied easy explanations and had problems with them that I think reach a little deeper. And the one that I wanna point out is sort of the, the biggest problem I had with a puzzle in the game was the crane puzzle that happened just as you're entering the machinarium. And actually, this is in the first act. Like, the game actually gets significantly better in the second half. Uh, If you can tough your way through the first several puzzles, there's some introductory puzzles that are very easy, and then the game starts ramping up the difficulty and complexity of the puzzles very quickly. And also, some of those puzzles are really frustrating. Um, I really enjoyed the later game puzzles a lot more than these. But The crane puzzle, you enter a room where there's a crane that is designed to pick up berries from a cart. It goes in a circular motion and dumps them into a furnace. Wait, berries? I think they were berries. What were those? Was that not coal? They looked like berries. I think coal would make more sense. I thought they were purple. Ah, uh, dude, it was like a. I mean, maybe it's berries. I don't know. You're probably right that like I, I thought totally they were berries furnace. because they ate them, but then I realized that doesn't make sense because they were robots. You're right. They were probably <laughs> it was probably coal. All right, cool. Um, so it's supposed coal to be better not coal. edit this out. I won't. Uh, it was supposed to pick up the coal and dump it into the furnace. You're right. Burning the berries doesn't make all that much sense. <laughs> anyway, um, so. This puzzle involved uh, sort of rewiring the crane to move you instead of the berries, or excuse me, coal, 
I'm really stuck on that. What's one with now. this black Kool Aid? All these robots keep drinking. Yeah, too. it's really strange. <laughs> Gosh, they love coffee. <laughs> yeah. um, the uh, the problem with the puzzle was that it required changing heights and walking very relatively quickly and precisely. It was only the only puzzle in the game that required such precise and quick walking. And also it was very unclear in some places. There was a lot of waiting involved in the puzzle while you, you know, set, you program the crane, you hit a button to start it, and then you kind of wait for it to cycle through its animation. And its animation took almost a minute, which doesn't sound long, but it's fairly long if you're experimenting with the controls of the crane. You know, every time you wanted to see if you could get the crane to do what you wanted, you'd have to change some things, hit a button and then wait and wait and wait while the crane went through its cycle um, and add on top of that the fact that you had to change height from reaching the control panel of the crane down to your regular walking height and okay, then move i get it the puzzle was hard <sighs> i mean reagan though you bring it up but that is the one that forced me to stop using the touch controls on the iPhone and switch to the cursor control. And then I had to set it to highest sensitivity in order to move the little crosshair fast enough across, like to lower my robot and then to move him over to the berry cart and get him into the berry <laughs> cart. I had to uh, change the cursor speed. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was the first one. Like, it drove me I insane. Had. And, and yeah. there's other little frustrations with it, like the fact that if you start the robot walking from place to place, you can't interrupt that except by giving him a different place to walk to. So you can't, for example, have him stop. I can tell um, you, you lost your sanity. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did <laughs> on a, because you're on so an entirely on puzzle. Uh, yeah, you're really, yes. well, that was the thing is like, <laughs> you're I, I finished the game and I, I played it over a year ago and I have very small memory. This was clearly not a traumatic experience for me. Um, Reagan called me at like game. four in the morning the other night just crying <laughs> because he, of this. When I think of Our listeners at home can't see how much his mascara has run. Yeah. It's really disturbing. There's just tears so much. And the funny thing about that, like, I, um, again, I, I kind of think that playing in a relaxed atmosphere made all the difference because Probably. I never had a... If I got minorly frustrated, I just picked it up later when I was in a better mood. I really didn't have any major frustration with this game other wow. than, yeah. So so I think we can categorically say that most of the problems that I've had with this, this game were about me. <laughs> well, again, I think I really think this is advice for listeners. Like, if you can play it on desktop, do. If you're playing oh. it on iPad, turn on cursor mode. The iPhone's probably too small. Mm -hmm. And be relaxed and take your time with it because it's about the atmosphere Yep. The music is uh, so good. We, I still oh my to god! Music can we talk about the music for a minute? Uh, yes. I want to ask you guys a question first, though. Did any of you not touch it for like thirty seconds and watch the screen? Yes, those were so great. Yeah. The oh, they're little so wonderful. Yeah, the little robot has like daydreams basically, and they're adorable. This game, like we've been talking about the graphics a lot, but it it it's really cute almost i mean like, the game rewards patience mm -hmm. yeah it, uh, that's yeah a lot of games have an idle animation but usually it's something where like you know sonic the hedgehog looks out at the screen at you and kind of taps, taps his, his foot toes. and say what's your problem man you're not going fast enough uh this game <laughs> rewards those moments if you leave the little robot to sit he'll remember things about his life before everything went wrong you know he'll remember some, nice yeah. moments with his little girlfriend bot 
some good robot jokes. The uh, the lady robot walks in with a cake, and they both eat the candles off the cake. Classic <laughs> robot joke. And the candles were spark plugs. Yeah, that's a Love good it. one. You know, uh, that's that's one of the things that I liked about the game is like, I when I first started playing it, um, I remember distinctly thinking, "Oh, this is gorgeous," but it's gonna be like a weird plotless flash puzzle. And or it's gonna be too steampunky. Yeah, and like then that. and then I, I as I got into it, I started seeing things like those idle animations that start to give you kind of, oh well, this robot isn't just like an automaton; he's like a character, and oh, this isn't just like a a puzzle; it's a city full of characters, and this isn't just a this isn't just a puzzle game; it's a game with a with a plot and a story and characters to care about. They're basically metal muppets. Yeah, I guess. You could say that. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, I care guys. About the All right. <laughs> no, I see what you're going for there. Like, you care, like, Muppets are inanimate, but you care about them as if they're people. Yeah, they're adorable. But... As I got into the second half, the puzzles were a little bit more my speed. Uh, they were a little bit more about, um, you know, m- moving objects around the game world and helping people in ways that made sense rather than sliding tiles and controlling machines. Um and the characters sort of got a little bit more fun. Uh, once you discover your little girlfriend bot, uh, and there are some moments where you control both of them, and they're both required for some of the puzzles in the later game, uh, their play off of each other was cute, and their character animations were adorable, and once you're finally getting your revenge on the bullies, like, that was great. And the last half of the game is a huge step up from the first half. We've been talking about the graphics about and I know we're going to talk about the sound but the thing that really kept me going with it the thing that I was most attached to was absolutely the character of the game not just the characters themselves but the the overall kind of quirkiness and silliness that went under this really weird strange city that you were exploring through music uh Reagan oh um get to your editing console and uh splice in as much of the soundtrack, well, just go ahead and put the entire soundtrack into <laughs> we'll the show. Listeners, right here, you yeah. will already have been hearing some of the incredible soundtrack of this game uh, as a part of the episode. since I played this game around the time it came out and I am not the kind of person who keeps a lot of video game music in uh, in his iTunes but this game this soundtrack it's the perfect soundtrack for just sort of while you're trying to get some work done and so I've or while I've you're trying to solve some puzzles exactly I mean a lot of video game music is great for focus but this this music is a little bit more on the ambient side and a lot it's not what you'd expect when you think of like robots and it's a really cool chill 
Yeah, there is one. Uh, there is one track. Uh, I think it's the one that you play when you're in the arcade area. Uh, the the track title is Game Boy Tune, and that that's a great track. And that's got a little bit of the bleep bloop bleep. bleep. Most of the every, most everything else in the um, in the soundtrack is just this beautiful, mellow, um, somewhat electronic, echoey sound. It's really beautiful, and I hope you're playing it under my voice right now, because I'm gonna talk real quiet right into the mic. <laughs> Sounds good, bro. Yeah, just a lot of care was taken to make a fully designed soundtrack. It has it has a lot of character of its own. And I think it's worth listening to on its own. Because sometimes when you're sitting there going, Damn it, tiny robot, move properly. You don't appreciate the soundtrack entirely. Yeah, here's a, a question for you, Reagan. When you were playing this game, were you listening to the soundtrack? Oh, absolutely. Um, then how did you get so frustrated? <laughs> Uh, it's hard to say. It was a very mellow uh, soundtrack. And um, actually, what's funny about this is that I got this game when it was included in a Humble Bundle back in 2012 or so, I think. And that, I think, included the soundtrack. Maybe I'm misremembering, but I ended up with the soundtrack it did. at it some point. It included all the soundtracks oh, as well, cool. if you paid over... 12 bucks or something. Yeah, and I listened to the soundtrack, and, ha- and just like you, Shane, I've had this soundtrack in my iTunes and enjoyed the soundtrack for a couple of years before ever getting around to playing the game. The soundtrack immediately caught me as something that was totally worthwhile, and I've been meaning to play this game because of its great soundtrack. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a um, there's a track on the soundtrack that's my personal favorite. It's called Mr. Hand Goatee. <laughs> A good name. And, uh, yeah, so just... Even if you aren't into the game, uh, I would I would say the soundtrack is worth your time. You can find the whole thing on YouTube. Maybe we'll throw a link in the show notes. Also, Bandcamp if you want to, you know, not just listen to crap on YouTube. Oh yeah. Well, you know, if you if you want to give the developers money, buy the game. True. But uh, what happens at the end of this game? I, I, again, my hey, my hey, recollection. I don't know. Little, uh, if we should maybe throw in a spoiler break. Well, yeah. This this is it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're we're going to talk about the ending of the game. Honestly, the plot of this game was freeform and uh, and story light enough that I'm not sure spoilers are really an issue. But we are going to be talking about the conclusion of the game. We haven't talked about any actual puzzle solutions yet, so um, I think that would be the true spoilers in a game like this. But uh, let's go ahead and and dive in. Here's your spoiler break. <laughs> I don't know. I did tell him you need to put the plunger at the end of the rope. Damn it, Nate. You ruined it. We'll edit that out. We'll bleep it. <laughs> beep. You got to put the plunger at the end of the beep. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'm providing the beep for you. All right. Good beep. Beep. So around the end of this game, 
um, please stop me if I miss any details, but you find not only your girlfriend, but another friend of yours who's sort of like the mayor of Robotown and he's got a big old head. He's like the head guy. Yeah, so the town is uh, surrounding this tower and the tower is where the bullies have taped up their bomb. And so most of the content of the game... Hey, Nate, 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 stop that. I, I get Steam notifications on the corner of my screen and I can see that yeah. you just launched FTL. We're still I talking hit the wrong here. button. I was cl- I was <laughs> Sure I you probably. did. That will sure definitely you did. Out, right? I hit the wrong button. I want to say I want to say do we still call them bullies once they've started attaching bombs to towers? <laughs> yeah. When I bullies like... become terrorists. <laughs> yeah, the Machinarium they... story. I wasn't ex- you know, I wasn't going to throw the terrorist out there, but I think bullies would be a much better name. Does anyone have any idea why they wanted to blow up the tower? That's the thing I'm really confused about. I didn't know anything about any of the motivations. They're, in they're this game. bullies, they're, yeah, because you know, their parents beat them. I don't I know. I think the motivations in this game are people are sad and oh no, there's a bomb. Those are your de- <laughs> those are your two main motivations. Oh, this person is unhappy. Why is there a mo- bomb? Because people are mean. Yeah. <laughs> People are mean and other people are unhappy. That's all you get from motivation. So at, towards the end, we climb the tower. We defuse a bomb. Um, there's a huge-headed robot that I think they incapacitated him somehow by taking out some part of his brain. Is that right? That we have to return to him or they break his head uh, somehow? It's kind of hard to say. You get into the top of the tower and your buddy robot, who it seems is the mayor of Machinarium or something, uh, has a giant metal head. I mean, they're all, they all have metal heads. He has the biggest head, so he's clearly the, the one in charge. They are robots. But he's kind of having a seizure or something. He's sitting in a chair kind of rocking around and drooling, and, or I suppose leaking, and uh, you have to disconnect something from him i forget exactly and then you have to kind of dive into his head and play a mini game and actually weirdly enough this final mini game i I know i said i kind of disapproved of the little mini puzzles that were like sliding blocks but some of them did stand out as pretty good and a, a couple of good examples would be the ones in the um video game arcade which are really more sort of fully formed little mini games with actual interactivity above just sliding puzzle blocks around um but this was probably the best one it's actually a kind of a little actually i think i describe it as being a kind of a clone of adventure for the atari um you move around a little map with a bunch of uh passages it's uh, broken up into little uh, chunks kind of like the zelda map is and you have to collect little objects and destroy other little objects and eventually once you've presumably were representing cleared the big head guy's brain of, I don't know, bugs, problems, whatever it is, uh, then he comes back to normal. And you flush the Black Hat crew down some kind of giant toilet, and everyone flies (laughs) off into the sunset. Robot house? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the, the very end there where they flew away actually had a kind of a weird ending and i wondered if you guys had a crash yeah Yeah. i wondered if you guys had opinions about what was actually happening there um they both get into a weird little helicopter 
dealy bobber at the top of the tower and the helicopter begins to fly away now that they've gotten rid of the the bullies i'm not sure why they want to leave but they do vacation yeah yeah and then that flies off screen and the credits begin and it appears to crash and then a couple of little flying robots come and pick up their apparently lifeless bodies and fly off in different directions and I wasn't sure if that was a dark ending or not. It's very hard to tell what's going on they there. They were setting up Machinarium 2 with that. Uh, uh, whether there will be a Machinarium 2 is is uh, not a sure thing. But uh, it seems like the kind of thing where it's like, you know, you got to separate them again to have the next game. <laughs> Makes sense. I guess. I mean, uh, I just saw, you know, I... I would, if they were human, say they had died and gone to heaven, but I assume <laughs> robots are immortal because we just pick somebody. So I was like, maybe the big head guy is going to repair them and save the day. Yeah, I thought it was an odd, had, odd dark turn for something well, to happen after the credits have started, but well, they're not why not? Dead. The, the, the characters begins dead. the game in like 12 pieces and then puts himself back together. So That's true. Yeah, he's immortal. He's, it, it's just a weird little thing. Yeah. It's a robot. Yeah, it's definitely an uh, it's definitely an odd ending. I think like you know that it's just really that note at the end that was a little bit off, and I I really personally think it was just kind of a let's set up a a sequel type thing. But um, but you know the the reuniting with your girlfriend and saving the town that's 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 a good ending. I I definitely liked the game, and I felt very accomplished at the end of it. So people can get this game on basically every platform. Well, I think we mentioned most of them at the beginning, but this game is out for Microsoft Windows, Mac OS X, Linux, the iPad from the iPad 2 on up, the iPhone, I don't know exactly what the requirements are, the BlackBerry Playbook, uh, it's out for Android, uh, you know, whatever Android device you want to play it on, and it's out for the PS3, I don't think it's out for the PS4 or Vita. Oh no, no, it is out for the Vita. It's not out for the PS4, but it's out for the PS3 or the Vita. Um, so basically any device with a screen, you can probably play this game. It's on any device that you can export flash code from. Yeah, because it's all written in flash. In fact, I, I kept running into a frustration where I'd accidentally right click on the game window and it would pop up the standard flash right click win you know menu, which was a little bit breaking of the immersion. Yeah, right click is something that a lot of adventure games train you to do. So I could see why you'd pull that one up. Mm -hmm. I also actually ran into some weird issues with the full screen mode, but uh, once I once I learned to avoid the escape key and certain other actions, it, it ended up being just fine. Um, but it runs just fine on all of those platforms. I really think this is a game that people should continue to play today. It's got some rough edges, but I don't think that they're uh, game breaking or, or interrupt your enjoyment. My my word to our listeners is play this game and uh, just chill out. That's good advice. My, my take would be that this is a pretty darn good indie adventure game. If you already like adventure games, 
um, this is a great game to check out. And a, a good thing about it would be that because it was in that humble bundle and it's been on a zillion sales, etc., and it's a bit older, um, there's actually a pretty good chance, if you're anything like me, that you may already own this game. I mean, it was in my Steam library for a zillion years since that humble bundle. Um, so if it's sitting around in your Steam library and you're staring at your Steam library wondering, what do I do with my time? I've got hundreds of games and nothing to play. This is a pretty good one to pick up. Um, if, you've, if you're not sure that you love adventure games, this wouldn't be the one I'd recommend starting with. Oh, Also, there's a free demo on their website. Oh, cool. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. I'll say that Google the art for this game or look at the art on the show page if you are a subscriber and just listen to us automatically do take the time to look at the art because you might be more interested in this game when you see that um it's definitely worth playing through a few levels just to find out if you like the environment it is so pretty i mean so 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 pretty Can I sidebar for a second and tell you guys something that I'm dealing with currently? Uh, in order to mess with Reagan while we were talking, I opened up a game of Goat Simulator. <laughs> I, I saw that notification. And then I also <laughs> opened up a game of Worms Reloaded. And uh, what has that. happened is the Worms Reloaded opened first and then goat simulator loaded on top of that all of my controls are controlling worms reloaded which i cannot see and i'm staring at the title screen to goat simulator getting the soundtracks to both i can hear all of you but i can only see goat simulator and for the life of me i cannot get any of this stuff closed i i have only the controls for worms reloaded and in my attempt to like hit the right guesses of combinations of keys to close it I started a game of worms and for a moment I was controlling my worm and I remember the game enough to fire a bazooka. <laughs> All right, well we could take we could take we could take a quick break. That's this hilarious. doesn't have to be this doesn't have to be off air. I no, I, I can I can admit this. Um, Nate Nate never try I to run a help, game guys. while the episode is recording. <laughs> well, here's my concern. Just a short game. I don't want to. Uh, Goat Simulator is forever. It, there, it is not a short game in that I will never not play it. Um, I don't want to like restart my computer and screw up the recording. Yeah, le- leave it for a minute. <laughs> so I don't know what to do. I need help. Yeah, I don't know if this is something you can call the fire department about. We're just doing our final thoughts, and uh, Nate was expressing his uh, his frustration with his inability to computer. Um, <laughs> I'm not, so, so my closing thoughts. Yeah, I feel like with with this game, I loved everything about this game except for my frustrations with the actual gameplay um, or the ability to play it on my iPhone. And so I think had I played it on even iPad or on computer, I would have been more in the Laura and Shane camp. It's only that I was incredibly frustrated trying to control my guy and properly tap on the action or on the adventure type stuff that I had any frustrations with this game. Otherwise, it's funny. 
it's uh the, the the graphics are, are really great the sound is great i was listening to the soundtrack on its own uh, i definitely recommend it just not on an iphone thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the short game uh, i really enjoyed talking about this game and it really did pick up towards the end i think you've kind of turned me around on the game and, and i do definitely recommend it to folks definitely check out this game if you can and next time we're going to be talking about another game that i'm excited to try although i haven't even begun playing it yet and that's the swapper it's a puzzle platformer and it has been a little while since we did a puzzle platformer so that's exciting for me to get back to a genre that really really works for me. I love puzzle platformers. Yeah, and this one has a really unique mechanic, so I think we're all going to we're going to have a good time yeah. with this one. Yeah. And right now, uh, if you're hearing this episode go out, it's probably no longer the PlayStation Plus uh, game for the month, but it was the January PlayStation Plus game. So if you have a PS4 and you're a member of PS Plus, you probably already have this game. If you haven't had a chance to get started with it yet, now's a perfect time. Um, listeners, if you have a minute, we would really love it if you'd rate our show on iTunes. Uh, you can do that really easily. Just uh, You can click a link on our main page, which is www.theshortgame.net. That'll take you right to the show on iTunes where you can rate and review us. It makes a big difference. It helps us a lot. Um, we also love to hear your feedback. So if you have thoughts about this game, this show, or if you just want to recommend a game, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. We're at underscore short game. You can also follow me personally on Twitter. I'm Reagan K. I spell that Ray Gank, R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. Isn't that Laura Janash? Yeah, okay. uh, that doesn't work for, it only works for your uh. name. Don't try to make Laura Janash a thing. <laughs> it's not a real thing. Laraj Nash? Mate, where can people find you? Do me now. So you can find me on Twitter at NateSTL or Natestel. <laughs> and Shane, where can people find you? I am on, on Twitter at 8BitShane. Now there's no mixing up that one, really. 8BitsHang? Sure, sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> Bit of a stretch. You mentioned asking our, our listeners for some, uh, some iTunes review love. And I do want to thank... The, the people that have done that so far. Uh, Andrew, I love you. Nurse C1992, you're the best. Uh, Does anybody know who Kitty Nurse Raja. C1992 is? That's such an AOL name. I love it. Oh, yeah. Well, we love our listeners. Kitty Raja, Max So Cool, uh, and, and someone with the name Amazing Show. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were I think they were probably filling that thing out wrong. Um, but a special thanks, a special thanks goes to Senor Cheezel. <laughs> and we're not going to top that. Thank you so much Senor Cheezel and uh, and to all our listeners and we'll catch you next week on another episode of The Short Game. <laughs>